another season in the books the podcast featuring european professional athletes who pursue their university degrees at home or in the united states we'll talk about the ups and the downs the pros and the cons we'll hear from each athlete as they talk about their journey through academics and athletics i'll also be talking to coaches and getting their opinion on the subject as well i'm your host leslie knight 11-year veteran in Spain's professional basketball leagues, Liga Femenina 2 and La Liga Endesa. Let's get to it! Hello everyone, another season in the books is back, and this week we are bringing you a story that's worth listening to every minute. Mike Carlson is from Wisconsin but spent the majority of his youth in the great state of Minnesota, specifically up north in Duluth. At 16 years of age, he was tall and skinny, six foot four and just over 140 pounds. He was the skinniest and weakest guy in the weight room, but his competitive drive and passion for the game of basketball pushed him to achieve awards that not even his own dad could have predicted. Without one college scholarship offer at the end of his senior year, Mike went to play on the JV team at Hope College in Michigan, Division III. After a year at Hope, Mike decided to look for a place that would value his work ethic and talent. Thanks to a Facebook video showing Mike juggling in a talent show, the coach at Truman State University in Missouri decided to give this lanky but coordinated guy a chance at practicing with the team, however, without a scholarship. Mike grew throughout college and finished his fifth year standing six feet nine inches tall. He was awarded a scholarship going into his second year at Truman, and by the time his fifth year came along, he was being named an All-American, and agents were calling all day, every day. Mike is now in his sixth year as a professional basketball player overseas, having played in Australia, Spain, China, and now Italy. His story is one of a kind. His work ethic is second to none. His maturity enables him to see the big picture, which we can argue is thanks to great parenting. I could go on and on, but I'll let Mike talk for himself. Good morning, Mike. Thank you so much for joining me from Caserta, Italy, near Naples. How's it going? Too bad. Thanks for having me, Les. Of course. I'm so excited. It's just such a good excuse to like reconnect. I know. It's been, it's been so many years. Since, I mean, it's crazy to think that you know, you've been playing for how many years? How many, what year are you in now? This is my 12th. Well, yeah, I'm half of that. This is my sixth. So six already, I, though. That's coming by fast. I know, right? And like to think four years ago, we were both in Lagronio. It's kind of crazy. I can't believe, I can't believe, like, one, I'm still doing this. And two, like, I don't see when I'm going to stop. <laughs> I know. It's addicting. Um, so when I first met you, that was your rookie year. That was my rookie year. Yep. Wow. Yep. Six it's years ago. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That was your rookie year. And it was like, wait a second. You live in Duluth. I live yeah. in Minneapolis. Like what are the <laughs> chances of that? You know? Right. Yeah. No, that was pretty crazy. The, uh, I, I mean, I've only met, I think three other, two other players from Minnesota. Who, oh, really? Yeah. And like, but like that's, of hundreds of players that I've met. There's only been two other guys. Who's that? Uh, one is named Ryan Brueggemann. He is a rookie this year. And okay. then uh, the other one, his name is uh, Reggie White. He played at the University of Minnesota. Oh, we actually, sure. I play, 
I play him on Saturday, actually. Okay. So I'm going to see him very soon. Okay. Good deal. Um, all right. Well, tell us what is your first sports memory as a little kid growing up? Okay. Well, my parents are professors, but they teach, uh, they teach their students how to become physical educa- educators, so how to be gym teachers. Mm-hmm. So basically, my, my first sports memory is just Saturday morning. We would just go to the gym, and my dad would get out all the equipment. We'd have like a couple buddies with us. And we would just go crazy for a couple hours. Uh, like I remember, the thing I remember specifically is like we—they had these uh, these like foam balls called um, called moon balls, and like you could use them for anything, for dodgeball, for basketball, for kickball. Like so, I just—that's my very first like. I don't even know if you call it a sport, but like just being in the gym with my dad, just having fun with the guys and playing with these stupid moon balls. (laughs) (laughs) Well, honestly, it sounds like a little kid's paradise to have a parent who has access to all that stuff and just have like free reign over the whole gym for you and your buddies. Oh my God, Leslie, you have no idea. We, we could go in the pool and in the pool they had a, they had like a training canoe. And I mean, imagine being, you know, eight, 10 years old in a pool with a bunch of your friends in a canoe and you could just flip it over with no consequences, uh, and throw, throw balls at each other and get on the, like <laughs> the diving board. It was so much fun. Above everything else, throwing balls at each other. That's like the best part. <laughs> oh, that's, 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 you know, for little, little boys, that's, that's where it's at right there. <laughs> uh, okay. That's great. Um, so would you say, obviously you grew up in a sports oriented family? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely. A hundred percent. But the, the crazy thing was like basketball, like my dad was a, a basketball coach, but he never made basketball the focus. Like he was just like, have fun, play, do things, do different things. We did every sport, you know, growing up and it was never, uh, our, our parents were more interested in our development as, as, as young men and young people rather than our skill at, at sport or, or, or our development and our, you know, ability to win at any sport, because like I said, they were professors. So they knew the importance of physical education for, for young people. And they just, they were just like, play, just like, go Mm -hmm. play, go play with your friends, go do everything, go ride bikes, go, you know, go hike, whatever. Yeah. That's awesome. And when you say we, you're talking about you and your older brother, correct? Correct. Yeah. My older brother, he's two years older than me and uh like so you can imagine we grew up a uh, small town we had a bunch of the same friends same elementary school all in the same neighborhood like we had the crew and and we just got after it. <laughs> um and when you say small town so did you grow up in Duluth or did you grow up in Michigan no I grew I grew up in Wisconsin so right across oh, the way Wisconsin Duluth, yeah is uh Superior Wisconsin which is like a fifth of the size of Duluth and it's like a lot smaller community and uh, yeah so like i don't know it's it's small town wisconsin life you know there's a bunch of snow a bunch of bars a bunch of hard working people and uh, yeah uh-huh. so i mean uh, but you know basketball is not not a thing like where i'm from <laughs> basketball is definitely not like like a priority at all hockey is number 1 well actually hunting is number 1 and then hockey- <laughs> Hockey is number two. Okay. Um, and how, let all of us know out there, um, whoever's listening, how tall are you? I'm 6'9". 6'9". So and your brother? He's 6'2 and a half. He, he says he's 6'3", but... 
(laughs) And your parents, is your dad really tall? My dad's 6'4", and my mom is 5'4", but my dad's mother, so my grandmother, is quite tall. She's almost six feet tall. Okay. And uh, also the parents on my mom's side, my my grandpa was quite tall as well. Okay. But you're a 6'9", like, mm, would you say you're more of a wing player? Would you say you're a stretch four? Well, I... When I play, like they traditionally want me to play the stretch four. Last year was the first time I really got an opportunity to play minutes at the three. And I thought like that was, I I really enjoyed it because defensively we could do some things. So my dad always says like, Mike, you don't have a position. You're just a basketball player, Uh Uh, which I kind of take. But like, I would say the more minutes that I play, I'm definitely like a stretch four. Okay. Um, and when would you say that you then started taking basketball seriously? Because if you grew up in a place where basketball wasn't king and your parents were kind of more into just the versatility of you and your brother as human beings and just in general, um, when did you start thinking, okay, this is something that I really want to put a lot of effort into? Well, I, I can I can remember exactly when, but uh, I'll give you a little context for it. So. Uh, as you can imagine, like small town Wisconsin, the the just as basketball isn't the best, the education system isn't the best at the public schools there either. So uh, starting in sixth grade, my parents sent me to a private school up in Duluth, and okay. uh, and it was just a better fit for me because I, I you know I was just bored in class and stuff like that. Um, but anyway, as you can imagine, at a really small private school, like they want kids to do a lot of different stuff uh so kids are playing different sports you're in band you're in theater you're you're doing everything you know and uh my brother went away to college uh after my sophomore year so i was a junior and basketball was something like i took seriously but i like i really enjoyed it it was my best sport it was my best thing but it wasn't like i'm gonna do this and then i remember my last game my junior year um we it was our, our last game it was just a really disappointing loss for us as a team we had just our coach just kind of threw it away we had one guy missed like 12 shots in a row in the second half and like i was playing well and like i didn't touch the ball and i was like this is unbelievable like I, from a selfish standpoint but at the same time it like it like hit me it was like if i want to get the ball i need to be that good that like if coach doesn't give me the ball it's it's he looks bad, you know, and that kind of, so I remember after that, after that game, that game was on a Friday, that Monday, I went to uh, the local gym, the, the, or like a, like a a gym for athletes, for serious athletes. Cause I was like, I want to play college basketball. That became the next goal. And I remember I was six, four and 144 pounds. That's what I weighed in. Like the first day at this, that's it. At 16 years old, turning 17 in two months, that's 6'4", 144 pounds. So you, you can imagine, like, my body was just was not there at all. But uh, I was just like, I'm going to do this. And I, I, it, was, it was really hard to get, I mean, you know, imagine 16 years old, going to be a senior. All these other kids have been in the weight room for all these years. Like, they're just jacked. I fell over doing a hang clean with 95 pounds, like, it was just, but oh I remember, I remember that game specifically, and then going to my dad that weekend and saying, "Hey, I want to play college basketball," and that was the moment where it was like, 
I'm going to get serious about this. So hmm. that, was, that was kind of the inspiration, that game against Wasabi East. And it would have been, uh, it would have been March of 2008. What, um, what class, like 4A, 3A, 2A? We were 2A. We were 2A. 2A. Okay. Yeah. And is the max 4A or 5A? I, for basketball, I still think it's just 4A. 4A, right? I think we were 4A. Okay. Um, that's really... Where, where did you go to high school? I went to Hopkins. Hopkins. So we were we were a very big school. Yeah. So they there were maybe... The, sorry? They got the one girl there right now. Paige. Paige Bukers. Or Beckers. Bukers. Beckers. Yeah. She's pretty legit. Have have you gone back? Have you seen her at all? Um, I got a chance to practice with them this past winter when I was home. And then during the summers, I've gone and and worked out with the girls. And she's been there a little bit because lots of times in the summer, she's just so busy with like USA basketball and AAU and whatnot. But um, I saw her this this winter and she's very good. I mean, her her shot from three is so natural for us for a high schooler. I mean, it's like there are people that have been working their whole lives to shoot like that, and she just does it like it's nothing. Um, yeah. And her passing her passing ability is is just crazy. Her her IQ of where the defenders are and where her teammates is going to be is like it's just yeah. I'm excited to see um, what college brings for her. Yeah, that's, but, um, cool. that's cool. That's cool that that's your that's your alma mater. You were the original, yeah. Leslie. You were the original. <laughs> <laughs> <Pay> the <laughs> Back in the day. Back yeah. In the day. <laughs> um, but that's really cool that you have like a specific memory of when you wanted to start getting serious and um, even just telling your dad like that's I don't know how many people have a memory like that where it's like, OK, let's do this, you know, well, I, th- I think that just kind of tells like how mad I was <laughs> you know, like it really it really became uh, I mean just like so many young men today like they just it became a, a outlet to kind of like I have all this anger and like pent up like aggression and basketball really became like a way for me to use that and for something positive uh-huh. You know? And, and like I said, like I have, I have, I have a side of me, um, that I've done a pretty good job of like keeping down, like, but it, you know, that I remember in third grade, here's another story for you. <laughs> I don't know how long this podcast is going to be, but here we go. <laughs> third, third grade, uh, RBA rookie basketball association, dad's out of town. Mom steps in to be the head coach, uh, really competitive game. I remember we were playing the magic. We were the bucks. We were playing the magic. And, uh, and it was just, it was getting physical, you know, out there, you know how these games can get. And like whoever was refing wasn't doing a very good job. So like I, I got into it with another kid. The ref told us to calm down. And then, you know, like we got into it another time. And then my mom brought me over and was just like trying to like calm me down, you know, like, Mike, it's okay. Like, relax. Like, it's just a game. Kind of, and I lost it on her. And <laughs> eight-year-old me lost it on her. And we're like halfway through the season, you know, my dad came home. He said, okay, Mike, uh, you're not playing anymore this season. And I was like, I was crushed. And he goes, but you're going to have to come to every game and sit on the bench. So yeah, like, 
that was like I remember that moment specifically because that's like like I said I got that part of me that just can come out and just be really angry and really nasty <laughs> and I was just like I need to control myself if I really want to keep playing and keep doing anything you know and so good parenting move by by my dad but yeah so like like that side of me and I remember being that mad as as mad as I was in third grade that mad after my junior year after that game and I was just like okay I'm gonna deal with this in a in a better way than yell and scream and and go about I'm just like I'm gonna get in the gym and work wow and your dad stayed true to his uh punishment you did not play the rest of the year did not play did not touch the floor but I had to sit there and watch every game and you went to practice uh I think so I think he let me practice but I remember um I don't remember the exact details. I just remember that moment. It was so long ago. But yeah, third grade. I, I remember my dad took a lot of heat from like some of the parents because like that he was like, oh, "Your kid's not gonna play." And he's like, "No, like you can't yell at my wife like that. Like he needs to learn." And you know, I was like, they were just shocked that he would like do that to me and and hold me to that that standard. And that's just right. I mean, but I think really, I think that's pretty. Um, admirable of your dad, because I'm sure as parents, that's not easy to do, but it definitely taught you a lesson. And compared to today's world, you know, kids will yell or get mad at their teammates or their coach on the floor. And man, I just think if I was a parent, I would, I would literally take them out of the game myself. I wouldn't wait for the coach to bench them. I'd be like, no, this is not acceptable. Um, right. Well, well, what's worse is the parents who encourage it, you know, when kid, you know, is in a, is in a tough game in a heated game and, and they end up losing and then they feel, Oh, it's not your fault. You just don't have good players on your team. Like you did everything you could and your coach didn't do this and the other player didn't do this. And then like, there's no sense of like responsibility. It's like, Hey, you fought, you tried, you need to be a good teammate and we'll get ready for the next game. Like that's, it's more important to be someone who's fun to play with and who helps improve all your teammates rather than being like this super competitive jerk who just wants to win all the time. Right. <laughs> well, that's, I, I really appreciate that. And hopefully um, the people that listen to this will too, but that's great. I, uh, I don't think I ever met your parents. They came and watched me play, but we didn't actually say <laughs> hi afterwards. <laughs> Yeah, no, they were probably tired because they play so late today. They were like, Mike, we got <laughs> to go to bed. <laughs> we got to cut this short. Um, okay, so I'm picturing Mike at, what did you say, 16, 17 years old, 140-some pounds. How, yeah. difficult, how difficult that must have been, especially when you go to a gym and you see all these other young guys that are, like, strong and capable and lifting all this weight. Um, so then tell me about, like, when did your recruiting process start and when did you start receiving letters and calls? Never. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it never started. <laughs> so basically what happened, so that was my junior year, which if you know anything about recruiting, like that's an important year for you. But I didn't, I played like some AAU with a local club uh, the summer before, but it wasn't any big tournaments or anything. Uh, but that summer, like when I got serious about it, my dad was like, OK, like we'll get you on a team in the cities and we'll just do it. We'll do the AAU thing for a summer. And uh, so we did. And I mean, that was a big time commitment from him because driving down uh, two and a half hours for practice on Wednesday, driving back and uh, then going back again on Friday for the for the 
tournaments. Like that, that was a that was a big time commitment from him, and he made a deal with me. He's like, "We'll do this, but you can't miss any class." So like, we'd get back, uh, you know, 2 a.m. or 1 a.m. on uh, on Thursday, and I had I had to be at school at eight, and he was just like, "That's part of the deal. Like you can't, if you're gonna do this, you still can't miss school." And uh, I mean, yeah, it was that summer was good, and then like. I was expecting to get some letters or some calls. I grew two inches. I was 6'6". I put on like 20 pounds. I was like 6'6", 160, 165 my senior year. Uh, but nothing was doing. I play, I had a great senior year. I averaged almost 30 a game. Uh, yeah, our team our team wasn't very good, but like we, you know, we did the best with what we had. We had, I mean, I think we only had two guys with varsity the experience and everyone else was a senior and i mean we had a ton of fun don't get me wrong like it was all my buddies like we we had 11 seniors on the team like we had a blast it was a great wow uh we didn't experience too much success but it was it was fun and then um and then like no letters no calls no nothing uh in the spring so i just started selling myself to these division three schools uh sending out my film sending out this sending out that and then actually hope college in michigan that's where you got the michigan thing from they they hit me up and they were like hey we like what you can do come for a visit so that's when i went out there and like i not many people know about division three basketball but like hope calvin is a like duke north carolina for division three and it's just and it's they have insane facilities crazy everything like i went out there my eyes got big the coach has been there for a long time he's like mike like you can do this you you can be our sixth man next year like all this stuff and i'm like i ate it up i was like okay here we go hope college you know got a decent academic scholarship but um like I decided I was like, this is it. They win a lot of basketball games. I wanted to win. I didn't want to go to, you know, one of the local schools because they're losing all the time. And that's the other thing. So it's kind of funny because uh, I never got recruited by any of the local schools uh, where I'm at. I think part of that is because of my parents. I think they wanted me to go away for college. So when those coaches came asking about me, because I'm sure they did. Uh, I mean, just because there's not many guys with my size and my ability where I'm from, but like my parents are like, no, he's going away to college because that was kind of the the unwritten agreement in our family. It's like, hey, when you get 18, you go out of the house, you go experience the world, figure it out on your own. So, uh, but yeah, as far as recruiting go, it never, never got off the ground. Like I basically had to sell myself and uh, ended up choosing a, a division three school in Michigan. Wow. And here you are playing professionally in Italy. I love this yeah. story. This is so great. So then you <laughs> went you went to Hope for what, a year or more? One year, one year. So I went to Hope for one year. Uh, <laughs> I always felt like I was playing well when we were there and, and like, you know, preseason and stuff, all the guys just opened gyms. So I was like, all right, I can play with these guys, you know. And then tryout day comes and uh yeah they they had tryouts for this for this team 45 freshmen come in to the gym to try out and i they end up putting me on the jv team so like the second team and i'm like what are we doing here so i go and like i talk with the coach and i'm like what what's going on like this isn't what you told me at the beginning he's like yeah we just want to see you develop we just think it'll be better for you to get more minutes like do this do that 
I'm like, okay. Uh, I was like, that's fine. Like, I know my body's developing. Like, you know, like I said, like I, I kept growing. I was six, seven at this point. And, uh, and either way, like, I was just frustrated because they're like, okay, we're going to develop you. And then I played four minutes a game on the JV team. And like my parents drove, my parents drove 13 hours to come watch me play in a JV game against some, some bad junior college. <laughs> Leslie, this was, this was another moment right here. <laughs> so basically they show up at the gym. It's like right before Thanksgiving. And, uh, and the other team has this huge guy, like, and he's killing us and he's killing us, but he has one foul in the first half and I come into the game I get his second foul like immediately I just go at him next possession down the floor hit a three next possession down the floor I attack him again get him his third foul in the first half and then coach takes me out of the game I don't touch the floor again and so I had like three points and I drew two fouls in their best player in like four minutes I don't know what I was doing on defense probably not good things but like at the same time too it's like my parents came they saw it saw me play for four minutes I see him for, what, 10 minutes after the game maybe before, and they're like, okay, we're going to go back to Chicago and go to your aunt's house for Thanksgiving. I was like, all right, cool. Thanks for coming, guys. And and that was it. And, and my dad's just like, what are they doing with you? Like, it was the first time where he was – because he's always been kind of like, you know, the coach. Like, you got to respect the part of the coach and, like, you, you know, just work on your game and control what you can control. But he's just kind of looking at me like, I don't know what they're seeing out there, Mike, like, you're doing keep doing your thing you know he was like frustrated for me so that was like I said that was near Thanksgiving and then at the end of the year I was like I can't do this anymore and I left that school this is what's crazy I left hope and I turned in all my papers whatever to transfer like from the university and I never got one phone call the only person I told was my roommate and like no one no one messaged me no one like like it was just like that's how you know it was a good decision you know like no coach called me they never even asked they never even did anything and and you're just like okay like i made a good decision Uh, wow there are other opportunities out there um but yeah so then that summer uh like so i left school college ends like first week of may I'm like, Dad, I don't know where I'm going to go to school next year. So we're looking, we're looking. He goes, hey, what about this school? Your uncle played there back in the 80s. (laughs) He goes, no, Mike. He goes, the coach there, he was the grad assistant when your uncle was there. I can make a phone call. I said, all right, like, okay, Missouri? I've never been to Missouri. I don't know. So that was like a Wednesday, and that Thursday – uh, I get a call from Coach Schrader down at Truman, and he's like, uh, yeah, you want to come for a visit? I was like, sure, we'll be there tomorrow. And we just got in the car and left. <laughs> we, drove nine, we drove nine hours. And this is a northern Wisconsin story for you. We drove nine hours. There's hotels in, in this town, right? It's a town of 17,000 people we're going to, Kirksville, Missouri. But no, an hour away, there's a campground. My dad goes, look, cost eight bucks to camp there for the night. <laughs> <laughs> we pack up the tents. <laughs> we get we get the sleeping bags. 
go to the Lake Wapello campground in Southern Iowa. <laughs> and we stay there for the night. <laughs> of course you do. Right? And my dad and my dad I was like, Dad, what time do we gotta be at uh at, at Truman tomorrow? He goes, We're gonna be there at eight AM. That's when we told Coach Raider we'd be there. All right. So my dad snores a lot when he sleeps. So I hardly slept that night. So I show up to campus and I'm just kinda like All right, here we go. I mean, there's nobody there. You can imagine a town of seventeen thousand people, like who stays there in the summer? There's no students. None, none of the guys from the team are around. Like, it's just me and the coach, like, walking around this, like, ghost campus. And, like, he's showing me the gym and, like, the facility. Compared to where I just came from, a Division three school to a Division two school, I was like, wow, oh, this, is, this, is, this is something else. <laughs> yeah, so we walk around. We stay there. We talk with him for about two and a half, three hours. And then, uh, and then he's like, all right. And then we're like, okay, we're going to head back. And then we drove nine hours back home. So we literally, we spent 18 hours in the car for like a three-hour visit. And, uh, <laughs> and anyway, so this, this is where the story gets kind of crazy, if it isn't already. Uh, but I gave him some film. I explained to him the situation, what was going on. And uh, he actually, so that day after we left, uh, Coach looked up, uh, me on like Google or something. He found a video of me on Facebook of me juggling in a talent show, which I did as a joke. Yeah. So one of the things my dad teaches his students is how to juggle. Yeah. So he taught me and my brother how to juggle like when we were young. It was just, you don't think anything when you're like 10. You're like, yeah, like our dad's teaching us how to juggle. Like it's normal. You know, you don't realize like what a weird thing that is. So anyway, there's this video of me on a, in a talent show juggling during my senior year, which, like I said, I did as a joke. And, uh, and Coach Schrader saw it, and he's like, this guy's got great hands and great coordination. <laughs> so he calls, me, he calls me that Saturday. He's like, yeah, Mike, like we, you can come. You can be on our team. And he didn't tell me about the juggling video until, like, the next year. But... Uh, I was just like so excited. I remember everything just like, I mean, as you know, in this business, especially over here overseas, like everything can change in about 48 hours. Like you think you're going one place, you think this, you think that, and then boom, something's on your table and you're like, here we go. So I, I got ready to go and I transferred to Truman that fall. And um, yeah, I redshirted my first year there. I came in and I told him, I was like, I want to redshirt that. They had six or seven seniors. I was like, I'm not wasting another year of eligibility. Um, and I just wanted to work on my body, train hard. And that was honestly that was honestly one of the best things, best decisions I ever made. Just because physically, like, I grew another inch that year. So I was 6'8 now. And I was able to put on another layer of muscle. And the cool thing was uh, during the scout team of that year, I was the other team's best player no matter what position he played. So hmm. if he was a guard, I got to be a guard. I got to go off ball screens. I got to do everything. If he was a big man, I would post up. If he was a wing, a shooter, I was coming off screens and jacking shots. And, like, that's how Coach Schrader, like, used me that year. And, like, the guys on that team were great. It was the complete opposite of Hope College. Like, as soon as I set foot on campus, they were like, no, like, you're a part of the team. Like, you're with us. Uh, I remember them, those guys taking me in, which, like, for me, like, 
was huge because I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any friends. I didn't know the area. I did. I just went. I just went to school there for basketball. The only person I met, I met one professor and the coach, and it was just like, okay, now I'm moving here. So, credit to those guys. Uh, I still stay in touch with those guys because they're they're great. But um, yeah, I mean, that, talk about a 180 degree change uh, from from the year before when everything seemed down, and then you know to be able to get that opportunity. Which was which was pretty cool. All thanks to Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook and your dad's <laughs> juggling <laughs> lessons. That's right. unbelievable. Right. So <laughs> then, so then uh, the story continues. And after my redshirt year, Coach Schrader calls me into his office. He goes, Mike, you know, you worked really hard this year. We're really, really happy with you. You earned a scholarship. We'll give you a tuition scholarship for next year. Which, Leslie, for me, was like one of the best days of my life because, I mean, at this point, let's see, you know, junior, summer of junior year, summer of senior year, summer of freshman year, summer, like, so that's like three or four years, like, I had been really putting everything I had into this, and, I mean, you know, for guy, other guys, like, get, oh, yeah, of course you get a scholarship, like, you know, we got recruited to this university and this university, but for me, it's right. like, hey, we're, we're going to pay for your tuition, I was just like, it was unreal. Like, I couldn't believe it. I got it all in writing. And then a week after that, they fire the head coach. They fire Coach Schrader. No. Yes. And I'm just like, I'm like, before you go, can I get this in writing that I have a scholarship? Because you can believe me. Like, I don't, I, you know, I know how the college business works. Like, they, they rotate rosters. They bring in new guys. They, you know, everything else. I'm like, no. Like, I earned this scholarship. I'm keeping this scholarship. I'm playing for Truman State next year. And they hire the new guy. The new guy comes in, and he's just, he's just intense. Like, he has the press conference. He, call, he calls a meeting with the team. He goes, look, you guys have been losing for a long time. I'm going to change that. If you guys are with me, you're with me, but I'm going to find some guys in here who, who are going to win basketball games. That was, like, his first meeting with the guys. And I'm just sitting there going, like, I just got a scholarship. Like I haven't even played a minute. Like <laughs> no, I'm like I know I'm last on the chopping block. You know, compared to some of these other guys on the team who were recruited, who do you know have higher profiles than me. And it's just like okay, uh, he's like okay, we're gonna have individual meetings. Calls me into his office. He goes okay, Mike, you can't play for me. I said this is before you know how are you any of that. He goes, you can't play for me. I'll help you find another school. I'll help you do this. I'll help you do that. But you can't play for me. I'm just like, whoa, coach. Like, uh, I was like, but I have a scholarship for next year. And he's like, yeah, like, but you, you're not going to play. And I was like, I was like, put me through some workouts. Like, let me show you what I can do. I was like, put me with the guards. Let, like, I, I can play. Like, I know I can play. And, uh, and he's just like, like not really believing me, but just kind of like, all right, well, I guess you're here for another couple of weeks anyway, so we'll see what you can do. And, uh, and that next week he put me with the guards, he put me with the bigs, he put me through the toughest workouts. Like he was trying to cut me like a hundred. He wanted me to just quit or do something like this is too hard. This is too, this is too that. That wasn't happening. Like. It, whatever he put me through, like I was in shape for it, I was ready for it. I, it just, it just didn't matter. And I was outperforming the other guys on the team, which helped as well. And 
I don't want to act like I was playing incredibly, but I was just doing what I knew I could do. And like, I, I was playing for, I was going through these workouts with a purpose too, which helped. And a week after that, he came up and he apologized to me. He goes, I want you on my team. And like that moment right there. So I get the scholarship. This guy comes in. He's like, you can't play for me. And then a week later, it was the first time a coach had ever like apologized to me. He's like, I want you on my team. That's what he said. He said, I want you to play for me. And I was like, I'm in. Like, I, I don't know anything about this guy as a coach. I don't know anything about him from, from a hole in the wall. I've known the guy for a week, and he's been trying to, like, you know, make me throw up in all these workouts. <laughs> but as soon as he's like, I'm sorry, but I want you on my team, I was like, you got a soldier, buddy. Like, here we go, you know? And, uh, and I mean, the next two years we struggled, um, but he helped me develop a lot as a player. And then my senior year, we ended up winning 20 games as a, as, as a team. Uh, 21 and 7, I think we went, which was the first 20-win season for the program in, like, I don't know how long. It was, it was, it was a great turnaround, though. And I, I ended up being named to All-American. And, like, everything, I was player of the year in the conference. Like, everything just kind of, like, it, it just all came together. And uh, I remember he... Coach Wood called me and he called me to tell me like I was an All-American and I like couldn't believe it. I just didn't even know what to say on the phone because considering like where I had come from, it just, it was crazy. And then I called my dad immediately and I'm like, dad, guess what? He goes, what? I go, I'm an All-American. He goes, Mike, who does that? Who does that? Who comes from? you know, everything that you went through and you end up becoming an All-American. And I mean, it was just so unexpected from anything that I ever thought was going to happen. And then being on that list, like that's how it came to be. Like I was able to have these opportunities to continue to play and develop and, and travel the world and do everything that, you know, you do and, and I do. And uh, but yeah, it's just it's it, it was an absolute like just crazy story. Yeah, I, I mean, I knew a little bit of it, but not to the extent of what you just said. And I'm like blown away, you know. I it's, know. Somebody needs to make a movie out of this. Well, no, here's so here's the crazy <laughs> part. Here's the crazy part, though, because uh, I would say like, OK, my story is pretty, pretty wild, but like it's more normal for the for the guys that are over here and that are still playing and and they all have similar situations. They all have some, somebody that told them they couldn't, somebody that was you know, bad to them, some situation that they had to fight to overcome. Like it seems to be like, yeah, it's a crazy story, but like for the successful guys that are over here, like it seems to be more par for the course. Hmm. Interesting. Well, and they really wanted it, right? And they're... Uh... They they're just still don't playing quit. because it's their passion, yeah. Yeah, they just they just don't quit. I mean, just like like you, like you could hang, you could have <laughs> hung it up whenever you wanted to, but you're just like, no, I like the game too much. It's too much fun. Yeah. Um. And remind me, you were an English major. Yeah. Yeah. I started out being a math dude, but that was too hard, so I switched over <laughs> to English, and that was uh, it. Was really basketball was my major. Let's be okay. honest. Okay. <laughs> last couple of years of college basketball. <laughs> Maybe, maybe you know a little Friday night uh, 
<laughs> Friday night activities okay. <laughs> were okay. kind of the major. But... <laughs> All right. Um, but as far as, I mean, I know a lot of high school kids, like when I was back at Hopkins this winter um, and had a little talk with the girls, a lot of them wanted to know, like, what was the adjustment from high school to college as far as on-court workouts plus off-court organizing yourself like you know they wanted to know and um I'm just curious when you jumped up to college was it it sounds like I mean that guy put you through some workouts that you thought you were gonna you know throw up but um it sounds like you were up to the challenge mentally um but as far as lifting weights and balancing your class schedule and getting there and whatnot was that difficult for you or well, the, the school part, not so much, just because, like, like I said, like, we went to a private school that was, like, it was, it was a college prep school, so, like, they got us ready for, for college from, from that standpoint, uh, and, I mean, like I said, my college, my, my parents are both professors, so uh, the academic side of things were not so much of a change. Or mm-hmm. the, the, they were difficult, like, the classes, you know, get, figuring out the routine, figuring out this like I think I think the most difficult part as far as the academic side go is like you have to find a way that works for you to be successful and like anytime you go into a new environment um, there's always change there's always you know a couple months where like you just got to figure out what works for you in this situation and I think developing those strategies and that uh, whatever you want to call it study study technique whatever works for you like Figuring that out is probably the most challenging part, but mm-hmm. um, you know because it's all new. You're on your own for the first time. You're 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 doing this. You're doing that. You're you're trying to make friends. You're trying to do this. You're trying to do that. But you, you got to take care of your business first. So finding whatever you know. For me, it was having one one notebook, like a, a giant like five subject rule notebook that had everything in it, and then another folder for each class, like whatever it was. I can't I can't really remember. Mm-hmm. But like I had to come up with a technique that worked for me. Mm-hmm. Did you uh, live in the dorms or did you live in an apartment? I did. I, I was dorm life for the first two years and uh, that was fine. I didn't mind it. And then once I moved off campus, I still kept my meal plan on mm-hmm. campus um, just because that, that was the biggest thing. Like I saw guys who moved off campus, they were eating like garbage and just, I was like, I'll pay a little extra money to get the swipes and stuff like, yeah, sure, I could save money. Uh, but I didn't have to cook, didn't have to clean, didn't have to do that. And, and uh, that was big for me. Um, but yeah, I definitely appreciated living off campus more, like a little bit more freedom, but uh, definitely still kept the meal plan just because, I mean, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take an hour to cook a dinner, you know? Right. And like, buy groceries and yeah. Uh, between practice, between class, between everything else, it's, you know, trying to have fun with your buddies, like it just, I'm, I'm not, yeah. Yeah. So then you're an All-American and you're thinking, is there life after college? Like, am I going to keep playing? What was that? What what were the next steps after your senior year? So I like overseas was just a pipe dream, basically. And like uh, once I got on that list, like I was I was at this point because I took five years, I was halfway through my uh, grad school program. Uh-huh. Uh, and so, and I was really far behind my second semester, my senior year. Cause like the first, I mean, you can imagine like, you know, we're playing two games a week. Like I'm just 
100% focused on basketball and like my professors were fine with it and like I was just like look like this is this is how it's going to be like I'm going to be late with all this stuff and like I'm just focusing on basketball and um, anyway after I got on that list like agents started just hitting me up left and right and I was just like after after about like the fourth call with an agent I was like this is something that's serious that like I can go do that I need to research that I need to you know get a part of and uh so that became my job and like I was spending three four hours a day on the phone with different people trying to figure out as much as I could about this business and like I basically I dropped out of school I should I should have just canceled all my classes that second semester but I didn't I was too late to like do that but I basically just told my my professors I was like hey, look, like, I'm going to go play basketball. And I had an opportunity to go, like, in that May and play in Australia. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm going to go to Australia. Like, that's Right, and you already had your four-year degree. You were just working on your master's. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, I, got, I got everything squared away with them. And it was really funny. One of the professors uh, called my coach after I had a meeting with her, because, like, I met with, I had good relationships with all of them, not just going to, like, leave, and I just was like, hey, this is the situation that's going, and, like, all the professors were like, yeah, do it, school's not going anywhere, like, go play Mm. basketball, and uh, one professor called coach, (laughs) was like, hey, I'm worried about Mike and his eligibility, (laughs) my coach is like, he's done playing, he has no more eligibility, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> yeah but um yeah once once that was uh i realized it was that's where my life was headed and it was something that i wanted to do um i got pretty serious about pursuing it so mm-hmm. i i talked with all i probably talked with about 20 different agents wow because I, I wanted to get a feel for for um what the business was like and what i liked and what i i didn't like and mm-hmm. uh Ended up ended up signing a guy uh, who I've been with since. So I think I made a good decision. And, and yeah, I mean, you know, in, in this business, as you know, there's a lot of turnover with the player agent stuff. But uh, no. So for the guy that didn't have one college offer to all of a sudden have to be, you know, picking between 20 agents, just crazy. Right. And uh and I mean, not, I will, I'll say this, not all 20 were like interested in me, but they were like, okay, we know a guy, we know a guy. I was like, oh, can I talk to him? Can I talk to him? Like, I was just like, I will talk with anybody about, I talked with dudes from Greece. I talked with dudes from Switzerland. I talked with dudes from Germany. I talked with dudes, from, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just, you know, the agents like to talk anyway. So they're like, yeah, we'll talk with you. But mm-hmm. uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty crazy. And then, and then Spain came up when I was in Australia and that well, so you did of, you did go to Australia? I did. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. That I took it way too seriously for like looking back on it now, like how the league was. Like we practiced three times a week. We played, uh, like, you know, once, you know, that kind of stuff. And like okay. everyone else on the team had like jobs and stuff. And I'm like, no, I'm training. And like, I mean, it was good because like I I developed some good habits like to train by myself. Um, uh-huh. But at the same time, too, I definitely, definitely took it way too seriously for what the league okay. Yeah, but, well, you're fresh out of college. You're used to such discipline. You're used to, you know, and when you're when you're a rookie, it's like, yeah, you don't know how to do it any other way. Um, 
So give me a rundown real quick. You went to Australia. Then after that, you went to Logroño, Spain, where you had the pleasure of meeting me. (laughs) Um, Were you there for two years or just one? Yes. Yes, two years. But between those two years, I went to China for two weeks uh with a like a geely team basically. that's right where that was, that was a lot of fun i remember you saying you didn't see the sun yeah no it was very depressing <laughs> uh china is an interesting place i once again uh, cool to visit wouldn't recommend staying there for longer than a couple days but mm-hmm. you know if that's what you're into go for it Not but for so me. you you were in Logroño for two years, and then after that, you actually got a chance, or then when you went to San Sebastian, was that Leboro or was that ACB? No, that was Leboro. So they came down that year, and I had actually signed for a different team, but they were having passport problems, and they said I wouldn't be able to play until December. And now, like, if I was, you know, coming off an injury or something, like, I would have stayed with that team, but I'm like, I want to play. So mm-hmm. I, I took that contract back. GBC picked me up, and uh, we ended up winning the championship that year. And that was that was probably that was the best year of my professional career, uh, individually and as a team as well, for sure. Okay, so you you help your Leb Oro team move up to the ACB, which is the yep. top league in Spain, which some people argue is like the best league after the NBA. Um, yep. And after that year, they signed me. So they signed me um, over that summer. And, and that was, summer you got injured? Yep. And then a week after I signed my contract, I, uh, I tore my meniscus. And like, you know, people say, oh, you know, meniscus tear, not, which is like, you know, pretty soft as far as knee injuries go. Right. But I had, I had like the worst meniscus tear that you can get. It's called a bucket handle tear. So it just, and, and, the club wanted to fly me out and do the surgery in Spain, but you and I both know that just means they're going to cut your meniscus. You're going to be back playing in two or three weeks or wh- however long it takes. And then in two years, you're going to have to like get a knee replacement or something like you're going to have all sorts of problems down the line. So, but they don't care. So I was like, no, like I'm going to get surgery back home. Like I'll, I'll cut the contract. Like I want to do, um, I want to repair it. I don't want to cut it. Cause if that, they would have cut it, they would have had to cut like a majority of my meniscus. And I was just like, I'm, I mean, I was 26 at this point. So I was like, I'm not, I still got enough time to play like where, um, it's, I don't want to cut it. And, right. uh, so that was a, that was a really tough decision to make. Uh, but yeah, ended up being out for about seven months because of that. And which, yeah, meniscus seven months, go figure. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, came back. I wanted to play, I wanted to finish out the season somewhere that year, just cause I knew there would be a whole mental side to coming back and playing. I didn't want to sit out a whole year. So, um, I went to a club, I went to Oviedo in, in Leboro and like, I was just, they were going to make a playoff run and, uh, we ended up losing in the first round of the playoffs in five games, but I didn't play particularly well. Uh, but I was just coming back and like, for me, it was more important to just get the experience and to just play mm-hmm. and to train and to do everything just from a mental side to get ready for the next season. Right. Um, okay. Getting into some details a little bit. Um, when you talk about your agent and whatnot, your experience going overseas and getting paperwork, visas and all that stuff. Um, were you aware of that when you first started, uh, how difficult was it for you to get all of that paperwork? 
because a lot of players are unaware of this and it's not easy. And in college, you come from an environment where you pretty much are given everything on a, on a silver plate, at least at the division one level, maybe at the division two level. I don't know, but you're my experience. I was given food all the time. I was told where to be. I was, you know, it was somewhat easy. It was a lot of work, but it was easy. Then once you get out of college, it's like, it's on you to figure it out, to go to where you need to go, to turn in what you need to turn in, to ask questions. Um, how was that experience for you? Well, I think, uh, you know, I will, I will agree with you because I actually went, my, my old coach, Coach Wood, uh, was at Pittsburgh one year and he invited me out there to come and train with those guys for a week. So I got to be around like the high major D1, um, life and like yeah i agree with you like they they it's a lot of work for those guys but they really they really take care of them almost too much Mm -hmm. almost to the point where it kind of hinders hinders their development as far as decision making and taking care of themselves goes and like from the guys that i've seen who have played at high major division one programs that it, it it doesn't help them come over here um you know but like to play at that level i you know, you, those guys got to take care of their athletes like that. So it's, you know, I can understand both sides of it, but I agree with you. It's just, um, it's not, it's not the best for a developing, developing into a young adult, mm-hmm. you know, and um, or developing into an adult. They're already young, like you know what I'm saying. Uh, but as far as like agents or visas and paperwork and and that stuff, I mean, that was pretty. I knew about the visa stuff. Like I knew we'd have to get a visa as how detailed the process was though. Uh, I was not ready for that. That was, that was a different, different animal um, to get that, all that taken care of and lined up and translated and, and whatever else. You Notarized. And you had to go to Chicago as well, right? To the embassy. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, that's, you know, that's an eight hour drive. And um, I mean, they're just, is it's just it is what it is i view it as part of it you know but like i I wasn't like overwhelmed by it i was annoyed by it but i i wasn't like oh my god this is so unbelievable i can't believe i have to do this and all that it was more Mm -hmm. like all right this is just a part of the process that that, right but it's something that you need to start somewhat early because if you sign late or whatever you know it it takes its time its course to get your visa it's not like a 24-hour thing you know so um it can be stressful yeah, and, and like, I mean, I don't know where I'll be playing next year, but like, I'll make appointments for the consulates like in the middle of August, but I'll make those appointments in like May because, like, who cares if you, it doesn't take anything to like make an appointment, you know? Right, and you can cancel it if you need to. Exactly, exactly. So, but I if you wait, if you wait, then they might not have any openings, and it's like, well. Yeah. And, and the other thing is, too, is usually, you know, you need that, that uh, piece of paper from the club that's, like, signed and is, like, okay, like, we're, we're going to take care of this guy. And that takes forever to get. Mm-hmm. Like, that's been, that's been honestly the, the most difficult thing to, like, actually acquire because they can't fax it to you. They actually have to send it to you. Mm-hmm. Which is just like, okay, like, it's 2020. Like, can't we? <laughs> isn't there a more efficient way to do this? Right. But... No, they they got to send you the paper and and you got to go through that whole thing. So that's really smart of you, though. That's really smart of you to make those appointments before you even have the paperwork that you need to turn in, because then at least, you know, you have an appointment and that helps the process that much faster. Yeah. And and like the other thing is, too, is if you call like you got to understand my my biggest thing with the consulate people is like you got to help them like 
they're they help so many people who just show up every day without the proper paperwork without this without that it's like if you go in there and you have everything like prepared ready and you explain to them the situation they will help you out so quickly like if they they see you as a person like they can just get through like they're they're more than willing to help you out and uh, i mean i had a i had a situation with coming to italy uh that was similar to that where it's just like i didn't have an appointment and the club wanted me to go down there and i was like they wanted me to go down there early and so i called the consulate and i was like hey when's the earliest you guys can get me in I, i'm getting a sport visa they have that in italy and uh they were like hey we can get you in this day and which was after the day that the club wanted me out by like three days and so I called the club. I'm like, hey, they can get me in on this day. And they were like, no, like you need to be here for opening day, you know, like because preseason really matters. And uh, I'm like, OK, here's what I can do. If you guys pay for all my travel to Chicago, I will go down there and I will like sit in the office and I'll see what I can do. And uh, and they were like, they were like, OK, they had no idea it was an eight hour drive for me. So I have family down there. So I went down there. I'm, I'm in the office at 8 a.m. in Chicago, like just waiting. I explain to them the situation. I look at the guy. I say, hey, look, man, like uh, I know I got this appointment next week. The club wants me out there this week. I have all my paperwork right here. Can you help me out? And he goes, your appointment's next week. I go, yeah, I know. And, and uh, he's just like, we'll just take care of it next week like we that's what we have like the lady she's gone on vacation the lady that needs to sign off on it i'm like okay that's fine with me like i don't you know it makes no difference to me and uh i i call the club and i say hey this is what the guy just told me and like the the earliest they can do it is next week and they're doing us a favor by the way like they're taking care of us you know by getting us in that early because they were booked out to like october and uh and they were like, well, go back tomorrow, and does your agent know anybody inside the consulate to, like, help speed up this process? Like, the most Italian thing ever, like, oh, there's a system? Like, let's find a way to just go around it. And <laughs> I was like, no, my agent doesn't know anybody in the Chicago Italian consulate. Like, <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> and then, anyway, I go back the next day. I stay an extra day, and uh, I go back in the morning. And I look at the guy, I see the guy, he looks at me, he's like, why are you here? I'm like, I know. <laughs> I was like, look, I'm going to call these dudes on the phone. Can you just talk to them on the phone for me and explain the situation? And he's like, yeah, no problem. So I call the club. I'm like, hey, guy I've never met before who wants me to do all this stuff. I'm here with the consulate guy. I'm actually in the consulate. He wants to talk to you and explain the situation. Just so you know, you want to talk to me. He goes, yeah, okay. Give him the phone. They start going off on each other in Italian. It's hilarious. I don't know. I don't understand a lick of Italian at this point. But they're just, he's just like, eh, da ba da ba da 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 <laughs> With the hand gestures. Yeah. <laughs> and and, uh, and anyway, he gives me the phone back. I was like, I was like, I look at the guy. I'm like, hey. Thanks for doing that a lot. I'm going to go back. I'll see you next week. He's like, yeah, cool. Like, that guy was awesome. I leave the consulate. I'm on the train back to the suburbs where my car is. I'm planning on driving back. 
The GM calls me. He's like, Mike, go back to the consulate. We want to talk to this guy again. I'm like, no. <laughs> like, it's not happening. Oh, my gosh. And, I mean, my agent was like, Mike, like, these guys really want you to go back to the consulate. And I'm like, I'm not doing it. Like, this, they, you don't understand. Like, you've been in the consulates before. Like, it's it's official. Like, they take care of people. They're trying to do the best they can on limited resources, and they're annoyed. It's like the DMV on steroids. And, <laughs> <laughs> and these people just, like, they think it's just, like, a buddy-buddy club. You can just go in there and it'll sign your passport and, and get it off to you. And to calm that whole situation down like i'm convinced no one really knows how it works so they just think they can get away with it so like that's what these clubs try to do but you got to you got to have your stuff together and you got to be like you got to have an attitude of gratitude when you go in there otherwise those people can just make your life horrible if they want right yeah they can make it horrible or they can make it wonderful yeah yeah so i i did i had to go to, down and back to chicago twice in a week and the club had to like refund me for my gas and and all that. It ended up being like four hundred dollars. Man, well that's impressive that you drove because I just I flew. My uh, my clubs paid for my ticket to fly there. I was oh, in. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's that's. See, this is why you got twelve years of experience. <laughs> I don't know. I think I was just like, you expect me to drive to Chicago? What? Like, yeah, good for you. Um, Okay, we're already going on an hour here. And I have so many more questions to ask you. So um, but it's been great, really interesting. I'm loving everything you're saying. So um, tell me a little bit about how the adjustment was to start playing overseas as far as like language barrier style of play, um, getting along with your teammates, just customs that they have, cultural customs over there, like the kissing on the cheeks things. Like how, how was the adjustment for you when you went overseas? It was really difficult. Uh, I'll I'll be a hundred percent honest. The, the language barrier, uh, the amount of practice, the not understanding everything. Like it was the first three months was really, really challenging. Like, I remember uh, we lost our first five games in my rookie year, too. So we started off 0-5, and it was just like, this is in Spain now. Australia was easy. Australia, I don't even, that was a vacation. And so we're talking about, like, when I land in Legronio, and, like, I don't know anybody. We got good guys on the team, but uh, I'm, I'm the only rookie. Everyone else has been there. And I'm not playing well. We're losing games. I'm trying to figure out how to play this game. And, like, we had a really complicated scheme, too. Like, our coach made it really complicated. Uh, so I was just trying to pick up on all that stuff. And, and I mean, the college, or the, the college game and the pro game are so different, especially defensively. Like, because you've got to make so many more decisions defensively to be a smart player, to be a good player. You've got to get used to the speed and get used to that. So put a complicated system on top of that and then like it was really tough i remember it would have been probably november um i was just i didn't even want to go to the grocery store i would go to the automatic checkout i didn't want to talk with it because it's embarrassing like i don't know any spanish i know basketball spanish i'm starting to it still sounds like one word to me you know and uh and it was just like, I didn't want to talk to anybody, you know, you know how they're like, oh my gosh, you're so tall. And, 
Like, you must play for Clavijo. Oh, man, you guys are horrible. <laughs> yeah. Or it's like they, they thought I was a handball player. Remember that? Ah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I don't know. It was it was really I was so involved with basketball that we had so much practice. I didn't have an outlet. I didn't have an escape. I didn't have um, a good way to like deal with it, to manage it. And I was just, I was in over my head because it was the first time like I couldn't talk to anybody. Ordering food was stressful. Ordering this was stressful. Like it was just, I mean, you had some Spanish background when you showed up in Spain, right? Like you, yeah, yeah, I did, and I lived, I lived with uh, three other girls. Two of them were Spanish, and they helped me with stuff. See, yeah, and so, like, you having, like, an initial background and then, like, just being totally immersed in the language, I'm sure you got so much better in the first three months. Oh, yeah. Like, you noticed a a huge difference, whereas, like, for me, like, we had Alfredo, and (laughs) Alfredo was the key to everything. Like, is Alfredo going to go to get tapas tonight? Okay, then I'll go. But if Alfredo's (laughs) not going, like, I'm not going to go. Shout you know, out to Fredo. He was on the podcast a couple weeks ago. Oh my gosh, one of my favorite people ever. Um, but yeah, he was he definitely helped us out a lot. But like I said, like like having to make basketball wise, it was a big transition. Uh, um, just the speed of the game, the the skills that you need and and the ability to read the game um, really needed I needed to pick up. Luckily, my coach was a great individual uh trainer like he he was so good in in one-on-one and skill development and all that stuff and that's why i stayed for two years he really taught me how to play professional basketball like uh we didn't have much success as a team um in those two years but like my skill development just took off from learning the game, reading the situations, knowing when to attack, all, all that stuff, making quicker decisions. And that's really a credit to him uh, for, for one, like having the patience to like see that through with me. Because like in a lot of situations, the way I played those first two or three months, like that, it's easy to, to get somebody like that out the door. You know? Right. So, but he saw how hard I worked and like I was I was, you know, first one in, last one out routinely. And like I threw myself at basketball just because I didn't I didn't have anything else to do, you know. And it was like, OK, you know, I, I trained all these years. I've done all this stuff. I've had all this success. And like here we are back at ground zero, basically, like I'm getting my butt kicked again. And it's like, well, how are you going to deal with it? And it's like I'm going to do the same stuff that that made me go from not being recruited to being All-American like. the recipe stays the same and Mm -hmm. and the the great thing about the spanish culture is they really have a lot of respect for sportsmanship and they really value um the idea of sport and sportsmanship does that would you agree with that as far as like if somebody falls down you help them up or you have a positive attitude or you're a good teammate or what are you referring to Kind of all of that. Like they, they have they have a lot of respect for talent that plays the right way. If that like they hold that like that is like the highest value is like if you are a talented player that plays the game like very respectfully and and plays hard and helps your teammates and makes good decisions and 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 you know 
does all the things that you're talking about as well. But like to them, like that is that is the pinnacle. They really hold that in high esteem as, as far as being a great teammate, uh, being a good sport, and um, yeah, st- stuff like that. And okay. I mean, it's I'll be honest, it's different over here. It's it's just it's different in in this culture over here in Italy. And um, but the thing is, like that first year, they saw that I had some talent like i had talent but my attitude was what really like made them like want to work with me because they were like Mm -hmm. you can be a great player you can be a great player like you should just keep working and keep doing this and doing this and like it's a little it's a little bit idealistic at at times for sure but um like they were so positive and they were like you're doing the right things you're going about it the right way you know keep working keep working uh, and it was just, it really helped me because it was, it was tough. Like th- those first three months in the Gronio were really, really, really tough. Mm-hmm. Well, I think what you say is important for younger kids in college to know is that sometimes uh, being an American, um, I think stereotypically, we tend to think that we're the best or that we do everything the best way. And if you play college basketball in the States, of course, you're going to be able to go over to Europe and be successful. But that's not necessarily the case because once again, you're having to deal with a lot of change and adaptation and you're playing against guys that are in their 30s. You're maybe 22, 23, and they have a lot of experience. And just because you were really good in college doesn't mean that you're come you're going to come over to Europe and you're going to be the number one guy. Yeah. And, and, you know, to add on that, like like people always think like, oh, you're going to come over here and you're going to kill in Europe and like that level of success means different things for different people. Like I, like one, one of the best games that I played in Legronio, I had like six points and six rebounds. And my coach was like, Mike, you played great defense. You made good decisions. You got the ball to the right guy. And like watching the film of that game, I still have it. Even all these years later, I'm like, that's being a, a professional player right there. And like we had other guys who were making shots, other guys that were doing because they're pros too. And mm-hmm. it's just like, that level of success like just means something and a lot of it depends on your on your position and what kind of player you are as well it's not it's not so much the numbers because i think people just get kind of lost on that oh what'd you average over in you know whatever league you were playing in and you know Mm -hmm. you're like 10 and 4 and they're like oh like that's that's nothing and then you're like you know people keep signing you back and they want you to keep playing it's because like they see everything else that you're doing while you're out there on the floor exactly yeah no, but um, I, I think I think too like like I mean we we play sort of similar positions like a little three a little four, um, but like for us it's so important to read the game well and and make good decisions on on who to screen where to screen and then make some of those effort plays as far as getting rebounds and stuff like that. But like it's not it's not necessarily our burden to score, but like we do need to make good decisions and be aggressive. And like, mm-hmm. so you're going to have some games where you end up with six or eight points, but you only take four or five shots. And then you're going to have right. other games where like the situation calls for it. You're going to get 15 shots and you, and for your team to win, you do need to score 20, 25 points. Mm-hmm. Like it depends on the matchup. It depends on this. It depends on that. And that's kind of the thing that gets overlooked. Cause like everyone's just like, Oh, what'd you average? Like I saw, you know, LeBron had 30 and 12 and 12 last night. And it's like, mm-hmm. All right, uh, you know, different game <laughs> over here. Right. How many minutes did he play? How many possessions were there? I mean, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. There's a lot that goes into it. What about, um, how do you feel as far as team chemistry goes for you? Is it important to like be on good terms with your teammates and be able to relate to them? And when you're overseas, how are you able to do that? Because there's a language barrier. I think, I think, um, I think in college, I would argue it's it's more important to have a close relationship with the guys on your team because college is really one of those things where you guys are going through the same part of life together. Mm-hmm. You know, like you, you, you're trying to figure it out. You're all on your own for the first time. And so really developing those relationships um, is easier, but mm-hmm. it's also more important. Over here, uh it's important, like obviously relationships are important, and like I think basketball is 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 a business of relationships, just like any other business is. But at the same time, I think over here there comes a standard, like there has to be a a, a standard of like, hey, you're a professional player, you need to do these things, you need to do this, and at least like in my regard, like I lose respect for some of my teammates and like don't really care to develop a relationship with them if I don't see those those what I consider to just be minimum standard professional basketball player things. Like if a, if a guy's not doing those minimum things, it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't <laughs> like, you're not, you're not, you're not doing anything, you know? So I, it's a little different, but yes, like at the end of the day, you do need, like in any professional working environment, you do need to have a good relationship. You need, you can't just be cussing your teammates all the time. Right. When, when they're not doing what what you want them to be doing, but at the same time, you do need to be able to push them to the point where it's like they should almost be uncomfortable, so they can perform a little bit better. Like, hey, man, like you need to start. Like, you, there's a level of accountability and a standard that's higher in the professional game than at the college level. And mm-hmm. but as pros they should understand that they should realize that and they should rise to it. It shouldn't be that I'm not, I'm not saying like there's a, there's a huge gap and you know, it's, it's like, no, like when this is your job and when we're spending as much time as we do over here working on our craft, like there's some, some minimum expectations that, that need to be met. Mm-hmm. But I think, um, I guess what I'm referring to is you, you tried to learn Spanish, you know, you, you made an effort. Um, yeah. I, like you were personable um, and all that helps when you're the foreigner. You know, I think that Spanish guys or Italian guys, whoever, they probably respect that. And that that helps your your understanding well, on the court as well. Yeah. yeah. As, and you'll pick up like, OK, so as far as the language things go, I've, I've got a couple tips uh, for anybody going. First thing you got to learn is the basketball words. So pick up the battle. You'll hear enough of it. You know, and like that helps because then once the coach like doesn't have to like explain things just for you, you'd be like, no, I got it. I got it. That really helps develop that relationship. And then with the guys on the team, like learn cuss words, learn (laughs) stuff that's going to make them laugh, learn some of the mannerisms, you know, and just drop like a a cazzo or a a ostia, (laughs) you know, and and. And like, it, it really does. And then learn some other simple, and then you can just start building on that. Like, it sounds simple enough, but like, like it really does. If you, if you, uh, if you go into a huddle and you just, you know, give like a, <laughs> like a let's F and go in their language, <laughs> it gets them jacked up. It's pretty good. Yeah. 
Well, they appreciate it. I mean, they they yeah. enjoy seeing foreigners that come over that that care a little bit about their culture and that you know they're not just after the paycheck, but they're after they want the experience and they want to you know. Um, and it's, and it's big big to ask questions as well because they they want to share their culture with you. They want to do this. They want to do that. And and like they know the best restaurants they know the best spots they know to ask like what to ask for and where to go and what time to do so like just for your own quality of life like it's it's worth your time to develop like that part of the relationship just to enjoy yourself over here and to get to experience like the local stuff that you know not many people do when they come visit right um, okay, now I want to uh, ask you about, have you ever thought about the differences between the American system, the European system? Um, obviously, in the European system, you've got young kids who, if they're good enough, they're they're playing against grown men ever since they're young. I mean, obviously, the outliers are like Luka Doncic and Ricky Rubio. You know, Luka's 16 years old, and he's stepping on the floor with Real Madrid and playing his first ACB game. Um, but every Ever since he was 16, he was able to adapt and learn to play against guys that are in their 30s, grown men. Um, and in the United States, obviously, you can only play in college against people that are maximum like six years older than you if they've redshirted two years, but usually yep. just four or five years older. So people could argue that in the United States, preparing college athletes for that next step to be a professional isn't ideal, but at the same time, the percentage of guys that make it to the NBA is so small that it's like, well, why should they be preparing you for the next step? While in Europe, if you're able to play with these people, you're really, you've got a lot of experience under your belt by the time you are able to, to play at the professional level. Um, do you like looking back, do you prefer one system over the other or, well, I think I think my answer is is kind of a hybrid, but I really like you made a great point when when these kids go to college to be athletes, like you're not only setting up up to have an opportunity athletically, but you're also setting up to have them an opportunity uh, in another professional endeavor with their degree and, and whatever they're, they're doing. And like that's impossible over here. Like they don't they don't value that. They don't they don't do that. Like if like we said earlier, like if you want to if you want to study like you're studying if you want to play basketball you're going to play basketball to do both of those things like full time at the same time is so difficult and such a challenge over here and there's no accommodation for either and mm -hmm. uh there's some guys that can make it work but it, it's it's tough i just think my biggest thing that i think europe does right uh compared to the united states is like you get the when kids start playing basketball like after when they're like really really little because then they lower the baskets and and do all that stuff is they get the kids playing with the normal three point line the the FIBA rules three point line and the mm. shot clock and I mean I don't did you watch the mini Copa at all or like see anything like on on Instagram or Twitter about that not recently no so the the mini Copa is like uh, 14, 15, 16-year-olds uh, all on this team, when they have the Copa del Rey, uh, they have the, the mini Copa mm -hmm. as well. And yeah, the female, they're about to play in a couple of weeks, but yeah, the men have already played. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, and, and you watch these kids, and they're incredibly talented. And, and they, I mean, they have the whole club system here, which I don't really agree with. 
but I do agree with the idea that, like, hey, this is basketball. We got, you know, the court is the court. The three-point line is the three-point line. The shot clock is the shot clock. These are the rules of basketball. These are not going to change. And you get kids playing that way from, from 14, 15, 16. You watch some of these some of these games and watch these kids. Like, they're playing pick and roll at a very high level. They're reading spacing at a very high level. Their defensive awareness is great at such a young age because they're, the, the floor is wider. The, it, it's the professional game, and they're just younger kids playing it. And I don't understand why in America we don't, take that system like oh we have to have uh you know it used to be 35 seconds when when we were in college now it's down to 30 then they move the three-point line back and they're making all these like small adjustments it's like no like let's just you know they they just changed the women's game to 10 minute quarters and it's like when is when is there just going to be a set standard for basketball like this is basketball this is what it is this is how big the court is this that's the kind of thing that i think would really help development in america Mm-hmm. because I, I don't know, but yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, well, also, I'm wondering if you were aware of this in Spain, and I'm, I don't know, probably in Italy too, but here in Spain, if you want a coach, whether it's young kids, uh, high school age, professional, you have to go through basketball coaching courses. And so, for example, in Estudiantes, where I am now, in a lot of the clubs where I've been, where it's like this whole program. So you've got the young kids all the way up to the senior team. These kids are being coached by people who have gone through these courses. And I look back at my years when I was in fifth and sixth grade, I had a great time, but the coaches were just parent volunteers. And, um, but the kids over here are being instructed by people that have done these courses and that really know what's going on. And they're doing footwork and penetrations and, like you said, defense. And they're being taught by people who are really informed. Um, I, I think it's great. It's it, On the one so, hand, it's like for me, I haven't done any of these courses yet. And I if I want to coach, I will need to do them. And it's Sometimes it's difficult because to do the third level course to allow you to coach professionally, you have to hand in homework, do projects, do group work. And then during the summer, there's like a two week stint where you have to maybe go to a different city where that course is being held, pay your hotel or whatever, pay your meals every day and use your own vacation time because obviously you can't be working to complete that course. So it's a moneymaker for the, for the federation, the basketball federation, but at the same time, it kind of secures the fact that all the coaches are pretty intelligent basketball wise. And they are, you know, educating these kids from a young age. And I think that's, it's a great thing. I think, I think having that standard, is is really good my only problem with it and this is i mean this is kind of like big big picture is who's in charge of these classes and if you are teaching everybody the same thing where is the innovation coming when it comes to basketball where is you know some new ideas and when are they going to introduce some some different things because i mean I've had I've had coaches in Spain that have spent time with NBA teams and and done all that and I'm just like I I know how they you know run NBA practices and and stuff like that I'm just like I see what they're doing in practice and stuff and I'm just like where what went over your head when you were you know spending three weeks with an NBA team because it's like okay no we learned in our class 
that this is how you run a practice, this is how you do this, this is how you do. So like, I think there's a balance between it, like like everything, like for, for the youth, for, for the young kids, like you said, like I think it's great. Everyone's learning fundamentals, everyone's learning a standard, everyone's having this. And and for the kids, it's great. For the the development, it's great. For the coaches, it's it's a great way to like get introduced and like get their feet under them. But like at some point, like like I I trained with the team last summer. I asked them if I could come in and and help with their summer workouts. Uh, one of the EBA teams up in San Sebastian, and they were like, they were like, we I went into this meeting with uh, the head coach and the and the GM of the club. And they were like planning in this meeting, like how we're going to organize the practices and like what we're going to do. And like I showed up to this meeting with like everything that I already wanted to do. I was like, this is how we're going to practice. This is what we're going to do. These are my this is what I'm going to emphasize. Like I had a whole plan and they were just kind of like taken aback, like surprised. It's like just because I didn't go to a course or I didn't take these classes that you said doesn't mean like I don't have the knowledge to run. Now I've I've worked with teams in the past, like in in summer back home. Like I'm always trying to be in the gym because it's a skill that I want to develop as far as coaching goes. So I have a pretty good foundation in it. Um, but they that guy took some things from me and like we had a great communication about like how to develop like a progression of a drill and like some other different things and like flow of a practice and and transitioning from one thing to another because like you know in college like there is a pace there is a rhythm that is just not seen over here in practices like like when we're we only have x amount of time in college to practice so those coaches use every minute to the maximum that they can and they plan everything out and they got the clock going they got this going they got that going and like so yes it's important to have a standard uh you know for for young coaches to develop but then at the same time like it's quite limited because you think oh if i pass this test if i do this then i'm qualified to coach and like i frankly don't think that's quite true because there's so so many details that are lacking over here especially when it comes to practice time and practice time management and flow and 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 all that stuff because they think like oh we have so much practice time we can just do whatever we want and it's like no that's not that's not quite how it works so i think I, like i said like i agree with you to one extent but at the same time i think it's quite limited on 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 their perspective because they think because oh because i went through the school because i did this i'm good to go and i, I don't think that's the case okay um, and then just going back real quick, when we were talking about studies, uh, you mentioned before we started recording this podcast that one of your teammates is working towards his master's. Um, this is your sixth year. So just kind of looking back at the last six years, like I'm sure you have had a fair amount of players that are studying and playing at the same time. Um, I just wonder like how easy it is for them to do that. Um, if they're all doing it v- online, um, I don't know. Do you ever talk to young guys on your team about, hey, have you ever thought about going over to the U.S. to study? I mean. Yeah, well, yeah. So to, to answer the initial question with with there's been a handful of guys in Spain and Italy that have been have been studying and playing at the same time. And and the common denominator between all those guys is like it's a lot. Uh-huh. It's a lot for them to do. Um, they I mean. Imagine, you know, you're spending five hours in the gym, you're bagged from that, 
and then you gotta you gotta make sure that you study for you know an hour and a half and like concentrate and and focus on that and like to have that discipline and dedication. I don't want to make it sound like it's impossible because guys definitely do it. And like you like my my teammate over here is going for his masters right now at, at 23, which like is pretty on pace for a, a normal student. Yeah, uh, but definitely not the norm. Definitely not the norm. And he is really smart and he is studying so hard and he's just incredibly disciplined with it. And uh, he's doing it all on his own. And I mean, he doesn't go to any classes. They basically just give him the book and say, hey, the exam's this day. Good luck. Learn it. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, he's got the ability and the know-how and all that to be able to do it. But like, it's really tough for a lot of guys. A lot of guys, the more common thing that I see is just ta- them taking like a slower uh, route to, mm-hmm. to get their degree. Like maybe they take two classes a, a semester. So they only have two exams to study for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like uh, one of my other teammates, he, he'd been working on his degree for like six or seven years. Uh, which is, you know, it's 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 a long-term strategy. It's a good way to go about it, especially when you're playing here. But like, that is a long, slow, steady time to to be in school and to and to be concentrated. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely definitely difficult to do both over here. Yeah, but at the same time, you, for example, um, I've had young players asking me about this as well. And it's a question that I've asked myself. You know, you've been playing for six years. I've been playing now in my twelfth, and um, it's great that you're playing and you're continuing to do this, this thing that you love at some point, it's going to come to an end. Um, in the back of your mind, are you ever thinking about life after basketball? I mean, you're young, you still have a lot left in you to play, but, um, thinking about the life afterwards, um, you know, it's been six years since you graduated. So you haven't necessarily been studying the last six years, like if you play basketball for another six, that's 12 years without having studied anything or been in any type of professional career. Um, that can be a little stressful too uh, for professional athletes that are playing overseas because it's like life continues back home and people, your friends are in their careers and they're getting promotions and they're doing this and doing that. And we're still, you know, just playing basketball, which obviously we're, I feel like I've, I've learned a lot since I've been living over in Europe and I wouldn't change it for anything, but, um, are you in your free time? Do you ever think about starting to study again or doing a course or what you might do after your playing years? Yeah. So basically last year was the first time I actually took a class since college. I took like a a computer class. It was taught, it was taught at like a local university and, um, in Italy. No, 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 no. Back home. So oh, okay. I was taught by, by a family friend back home and, uh, and at one of the local community colleges. And, and uh, I thought it was like a good like basics class to see if there's something more that I'm interested in. And I mean, basically, I learned all the skills, but like it was so difficult. Like the tests were super easy. The work was fun. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed learning. I enjoyed doing all that. But the test like it was just... I didn't see the point because like I didn't study at all and I would get like, you know, 90, 95% on these, on these exams because like they're made for, you know, first year college students who are, it's pretty simple stuff. But, um, at that point I realized like, Hey, I, I can learn this stuff more or less on my own. 
and it became uh, more about acquiring different skills for me. So like right now, like speaking Spanish, for example, is, is one of those skills that like right now I have a level that like I could go anywhere, talk with anybody pretty much about anything, but I still make a lot of mistakes. I still have a lot of problems with my grammar. I still do this. And like now the challenge is like, I want to get really good at Spanish and I want to be, I don't, I don't want to like have any, I want to be able to like have a Spanish degree without ever taking a class and, and like develop those skills. So like, that's a skill I'm developing. Another skill I'm developing, like I told you is like, I'm, I'm trying to make, uh, videos about basketball. So like, that's a video editing, all that stuff. Like, and also, but the main thing is like, at the end of the day, like I'm a basketball player. So like I watch, I, I take my craft very seriously. I watch a ton of film. I pay a ton of attention to like who we're playing, scouting, doing all that, even above and beyond like what the, what the club is doing. And that's been always my focus. And as a result, like over the past six years, like my ability to watch a game or watch a player or watch um, anything related to basketball and kind of process it in a way as a player of like, how would I approach this situation? And what are my strategies going to be for this game? And to be able to, to write those out and do that, like that's a skill that, I'm more interested in developing than anything else. So like, have I been studying? I mean, like I enjoy reading, I enjoy learning new things. Yeah, but like, I'm more interested in developing these skills as far as like basketball, uh, I, I wouldn't even know, scouting? Like, I don't even know what you would call it. Like, mm -hmm. uh, decision-making, I don't know. Uh, video editing and Spanish. Like those those three things, I, as far as I can develop, because. The main thing is like, yeah, you could look at like, I think a lot of people get overwhelmed. I mean, I mean, I don't know I did like three years ago. It's like, oh man, like what am I going to do after I'm done playing, especially after my injury? Like I'm back home, like I don't know what's going on. And it's like, what, what skills do I bring to a working environment? And mm -hmm. um, it was, it was kind of overwhelming. I'm like, okay, I need, I need to get really good at something else besides playing basketball. So that's mm -hmm. been kind of focus to outside of basketball to continue to develop myself but am I particularly worried about like finding a job or having a good career after this and and to be honest with you the answer is not really just because I'm sure you can second this but the skills that we've learned over here and the situations that we've been putting in and and the experiences that we have, I think, really transfer to any line of work that you're interested in. And uh, if you go in for an interview and you present yourself the right way, like, I, you know, and you, you put your resume together in, in a way that, you know, kind of sells all the things that you have experienced over here. Like, I think I think you're in a great spot, you know, because we bring a lot of qualities that people don't associate with professional basketball to the table like we aren't late we can deal with almost any working condition we can manage you know teamwork communication any of that stuff like we've been there we've seen that we've done it we've dealt with it and we've negotiated stuff on our own behalf like there's a there's a whole line of things that like we've done that just don't you, you just put in your resume or like when people talk to you and they understand like okay you you've been there you've done that but like if just looking from afar and they say, oh, you're a professional basketball player, people wouldn't understand all those fine details of it. Right. 
Um, all right. Well, you just listed off a lot of uh, positives that your experience overseas has has given you. Um, but I I wanted to know like what else do you think your six years of playing overseas like what experiences have contributed to your happiness, um, your longevity as an athlete? Um, like I said, we're not necessarily in the working world back home, but we have accumulated a lot of experiences that, um, that you'll put in your back pocket and you'll bring with you everywhere you go. Uh, you've played in four different countries. I mean, Australia, China, Spain, and now Italy. So you've, uh, you've accumulated, accumulated a lot. Yeah, I think I think for me, uh, the the best thing that I can say for myself is is the ability to adapt has been has really increased and and more so than that though is like like I talk about standards. You know, when when we had the question about the professionals on your team and like holding yourself to a standard, and I think um, you know you've been in situations where the team isn't the best or this isn't the right way. You got, you know, lazy players, you got coaches that are just doing who knows what, like you have all these things, but like to be able to maintain your level and to, and to maintain your own standard for yourself, not for anybody else, not for this, not necessarily even for the paycheck that's that you think is coming next year, but just for your own, like I'm going to hold myself accountable and do things the right way for me. I think that has been something that I've developed really in the past three years um, mm-hmm. that has been very, very beneficial. And I think that's going to be very beneficial uh, for for my future. Right. And I speak about adaptability as well because it's like, hey, I can go into a room and, and have a conversation with just about anybody. And, and uh, you know, I feel comfortable going into a new situation. I don't have any anxiety like okay you want me to travel here all right like let's go you know and and the sense of like worry and stress that a lot of people have regarding you know who knows what whatever whatever's going on in their lives it's just like you know I kind of look at it now and it's like okay things have been very difficult even from the sense of like a physical standpoint of like I don't know if my body can handle this and you know you get through that next practice you you get through that next day and you're just like i don't know how much more i can go but then you keep pushing and you're like i'm fine i'm okay i can deal with it so i look at any situation that comes up kind of like through that lens right i guess i'm also thinking kind of about geography history language i mean you've lived in the Basque country they speak Basque there not normal spanish um just all the different things you've learned um, you know, it, it's, well, I think I, I've, learned, I've learned a lot about history that I never learned in school, you know, and because it's so relevant while you're over here and just geography in general, you know, now I know where you're living in Italy and <laughs> it's just, it's everything, you know, it's a lot. It's, it's, it's very interesting. I've, I've made some friends here who are local Caserta, Caserta-Nese people. I don't know how you say okay. it. <laughs> And uh, they're a bit older, but they speak so highly of their town, and they tell me stories about their town, and specifically about Juve Caserta, the club that I'm playing for, who used to be one of the best in Europe, you know, back in the early 90s. And 
they they speak with such admiration and such respect for the club and and this and that and they just want to see it come back and they want to see all this and that and I mean yeah it's really interesting to get that history and and to hear those experiences from people who are not where you're from they don't they don't know where you live they've never even been to America they don't they don't know but like to, to be able to share that with them and to be able to learn from them and to hear those like is really invaluable is really, really a cool part of this experience, I would say. Right. Um, all right. Rapid fire a little bit uh, here as we are on an hour and almost 40 minutes of uh, interview. But um, what's your jersey number and why? Uh, it used to be number five, uh, just because that was the first number they gave me in high school. But they have five retired here, so they get. I just picked sixteen this year because I don't know. It seemed ridiculous. So. <laughs> okay. No. No real reason behind that. No. Right. No, no real reason. Okay. Um, as an American coming overseas, do you ever bring a specific food product with you that you know you can't find Sweet otherwise? Baby Sweet Baby Ray's barbecue sauce. Really? Sweet Baby Ray's barbecue sauce. Okay. And then, uh, no, I haven't brought that for years. I can't even count that anymore. I was going to say we used to, my mom used to send me like, uh, halls, like, like, a like the, cause the halls over here, they're not the same, you know, <laughs> but we stopped doing that a couple of years ago. Cause I was like, I'll just deal with it over here. Wow. I can't even remember the last time I had a halls. <laughs> right. But uh but yeah, it kind of just it's like that Vicks vapor rub feeling, you know? It just cleans you out. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um okay, what any nicknames on the court? Uh the guy I mean, Mike is pretty easy to say. Yeah, it's not like uh, a long I've, name. I've had I've had a uh a, a bunch. So in college they called me Money Mike. Uh my first year in like Lagronio, they called me uh, the silent killer. And then uh, this guy, the, there's only one guy that calls me this, and he thinks it's hilarious. He calls me Mike the Strike. It makes no sense, but. <laughs> well, Strike is like, you know, perfect in bowling. And so if you hit your threes, Mike the Strike, like. Yeah, no, it's, it's only, it's only one, one guy that says that. It's only one, okay. one guy. Italian? <laughs> that one's pretty unique, yeah. <laughs> Okay. Um, what is your favorite shot or move to make on the court? Oh, I really, I like to catch it, um, like in the post, but do the Sigma move where you step out a little bit and then just shoot it right in the guy's face. That's like my favorite thing. Okay. Because like, I know I can get that shot off if he doesn't crowd me. And if he keeps his hands down, like it's, it's pretty money shot too. Hands so down, like, man down. Exactly. And after all these years, after how many times I've done it, like you'd think like they would just crowd me and like push me when I get the ball in the post. But whenever I face up, they always back that step off and then it's, it's money. Okay. Mike, the strike. Um, <laughs> is there, is there a least favorite shot on the floor? Um, yeah, you know, as as my game has gone, like I just hate shooting baby hooks. Like uh. like anytime I have to take more than two dribbles in the post and like spin and like shoot it, I, I uh, uh, <laughs> uh. all right. We won't tell your uh, competition about that one. Um, <laughs> do you have a favorite Spanish word to oh, say? Oh, uh, a Basque word. Does that count? Sure. 
Uh, esnea. Esnea? Yeah, it means milk. Really? Leche? Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't know why I learned that one. I, I know like six Basque words, and esnea is one of them. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Basque, I mean, for people that don't know, it's completely different from regular Castellano Spanish, and people don't even really know where it came from. But um, esnea, okay, that's a new one for me. What about an Italian word? Do you have a favorite Italian word? Favorite Italian word? Uh, mangiare. Mangiare. Okay, to eat, right? To eat, yep, there you go. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Where your mangiare? I want to eat. <laughs> oh fame, oh fame, I'm hungry. Oh, fame. There, you go. there you go. Yeah, because I played in Switzerland in the south, so that was all Spanish. So I have like a couple words back in my gray matter, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, well, uh, kind of finishing this interview off, um, I mean, this might be a little bit longer of a message and I think you've kind of, you've pretty much covered it, but for young kids thinking about embarking on a journey overseas, um, what are a couple just pieces of advice that you would give them? Well, I think, I think the main thing is uh, whatever you're pursuing, just be passionate about it. And, and once that passion becomes an obsession, like you're going to find a way to, to, to be successful and to make it work. I don't care if it's music, art, um, photography, sports, whatever it is. But, but like once once you find your passion and it becomes an obsession and you and and then you start to pay attention to the details of what separates good from great, uh, that's that's when it'll make a difference. So just just find find that one thing to be passionate about it and then just become obsessed. Okay. And what about on an emotional level and like a social level? Because that's a big part of your life. And when you're overseas, you're far away from home. You don't have your friends, your family nearby. There's a time difference. Um, and some people might stop playing overseas because of that, because they just aren't happy. Um, what contributes to your happiness on a day-to-day basis? And how do you maintain your your emotional well-being? Well, like I said, I think, I think you have to find... Uh, uh, disconnect, uh, something that you can take a step back and that you really enjoy doing. That's not related to anything, you know, over here. And, uh, uh, also, so having that as a, as an outlet and make sure it's a healthy one too. Don't, you know, (laughs) don't make it, don't make it partying or like going out or like spending a bunch of money. Like that, you know, that's not going to help you develop, um, as a person, but, um, the other thing I would say is like you you're a lot tougher than you think. And like you can be put in these situations and like you can you can manage it. It's going to be tough. Like the first 2 3 months anytime you go to a new situation, anytime you go to a way to college, anytime you do, you know, even if you were to move into a new house that's on the opposite side of the town that you grew up in. Like those first 2 months it's going to be different. There's going to be a change. There's going to be like you can adapt to that though like that we as uh, humans are incredible at adapting to to whatever situation we're putting in so just have faith that like you're going to grind out those first 60 90 days it's not going to be the most exciting thing it's going to be frustrating but like you'll find a routine you'll get into it and and everything's going to be be okay and the other thing would just be be curious ask questions go search adventures go Go see things that you want to see. Go do, you know, do some research about the town. Ask your teammates what's cool to see. And, and 
I mean, curiosity is is it really helps you because you know then you're like, okay, yeah, I've done this, I've done that, and it, it yeah. really helps you know calm down over here. And try the food. How's the food oh in gosh. Italy? Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> try try everything. I you know I and that's that's what you know we were talking earlier about like one of the things that uh, your teammates respect about you, and it's like. They want to see you try to speak the language. They want to see you try the food. If you don't like it, that's fine. Like, you know, I've, we've eaten all sorts of parts of the cow in Spain. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, some of them are better than others. But, like, as long as you try it, like, they'll, I mean, I ate a, what's it called? Uh, gosh, I can't think of the name. It's uh, Maybe you had it when you were up in San Sebastian. It's like... Uh, the squid in its own ink over rice. Uh-huh. Calamare in su tinta. Yeah, but it's got Maybe. a name in Basque. Yeah, no, that's it. That's it. Uh, it's got a name in Basque. I can't think of it right now. But anyway, like, it's not the best thing. But, like, you're like, hey, I tried it. Like, yeah, yeah. it's okay. People, you don't, like, have, you don't even have to add salt because the ink <laughs> from the calamar is salty enough. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh and like and like people will respect you for trying if you don't like it you don't like it but just don't not try things you Mm -hmm. know unless it's like something super dangerous or like obviously like you know (laughs) it could be bad for you you know (laughs) or if you're allergic you know if you're allergic to seafood try probably don't do that yeah but like no i've had teammates who like refuse to try anything and it's just kind of a buzzkill you know because it's like if you do try it, like everyone's like kind of watching you and like interested and like, it's fun, you know, and you, you can just be like, Oh, that's terrible. And then they'll laugh. They'll be like, of course you think it's terrible. You're an American. You don't understand our delicacy. And they're just like, All right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Uh, well, Mike, this has been an absolute pleasure. I mean, even though we haven't seen each other in like four years, maybe, um, yeah. You know, it seems like we just saw each other yesterday. So I really appreciate your time and um, wish you the best of luck with the rest of your season. When do you guys finish? We, well, right now with the coronavirus. Oh, I was going to ask you about that. What's the situation like? So they just announced yesterday that all the sporting events will be behind closed doors uh, for the next month or so. so wow. So no fans. Uh, yeah, no fans. We'll see how it goes. They don't really have like a plan. Like we're supposed to. Our cup got canceled, and they're gonna reschedule that and and do everything. They haven't really given any official announcements yet. But um, I think I think everything's gonna be just okay. And I mean, if they're gonna have these closed doors, and it's more important for the league to get the games in than to have fans at the games, like that's what we'll do, and and we'll figure it out from there. But uh, I'm far enough away, like I'm in the south, and like all the cases are up near Milan. So uh, as far as like me being in any type of danger, I don't I don't really feel that way. But at the same time too, like I don't think anyone really knows how serious or how not serious is this. Like just like a normal flu, but just has a fancy name, or if it's just uh, or if it's actually something like far worse. So mm-hmm. I think everyone's trying to figure it out, and no one really knows what to do, but. I mean, I don't, I don't feel, I'm just washing my hands a lot more and right. a lot more hand sanitizer, but I don't, I, I, my only, my only concern, and I'm sure you feel the same way is like, will we be allowed back in the States? Oh, I guess I didn't even think about that. 
yeah, are they going to, what's going to happen on that front? Because, I mean, I don't think they'll, like, close the borders or anything. But, like, when we go back, we might be put in quarantine for a little bit or who knows. You know what I'm saying? Because it's starting to hit Spain a little bit as well right now. Yeah. So. Um, and when did you say your season would end? If you guys make playoffs or whatever, how far does it go? Uh, well, the the finals are like the fifteenth of June. Oh wow! But I I don't think we'll make there. We might we got a shot to make the playoffs, but we'll see. So I'm thinking probably for us, uh, end of April, early May, uh, we'll probably be done. Okay. And this is the second division in Italy. Uh, what's the name of it? Like the league, Syria A2, A2. A2, okay, A2, A2. And you were telling me before that um, in the A2 league, you're only allowed two foreigners. The rest of the guys are Italian. Correct. And then in the top division, which is called what, A1? Yep. (laughs) Okay, A1. And they're allowed six foreigners and six Italians. It's, uh, so I think I think the way it works is like six Americans and six Italians uh-huh. or you can have uh, seven like European guys and then five Italians okay I think that there's there's something weird like that I'm not sure the exact numbers but I know six and six is like if you have Americans all right today's podcast was longer than the average episode but I truly enjoyed listening to everything Mike had to say and felt it was worth sharing Like I said before, a movie needs to be made documenting the road Mike and his family took, which allowed him to chase his dream of playing basketball at the next level. I still can't get his words out of my mind. A kid with no college scholarship offers. A kid who had to market himself. A kid who went and played Division III. A kid who had to prove himself again and again. A kid who converted himself from a nobody into a somebody. Becoming an All-American, and later on, a professional. Determination, will, the power of the mind. Quitting was never an option for Mike, because he had passion and enjoyed what he was doing. His advice, if you find that passion, chase it. Obsess over it. Don't let it go. Well, thank you for listening, everyone. That's a wrap for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I included a little more of our conversation at the end here if you're interested. If not, tune in next week for another story from another season in the books. This was great, Leslie. I really enjoyed it. Sorry I got a little wordy or something like that. No, no, I really appreciated it. And I really hope that people, young athletes in college you know if they're interested in playing overseas i hope that they find this podcast and they listen to it because you gave so many good points and so much good information and really told it how it is so um i really appreciate it awesome yeah i hope so too kid uh when you are you gonna tweet out the link or how how do you promote it i will publish it on itunes and then um, there's like another format for people that don't have iPhones. It's called podbean.com. I think they might have to make their own um, profile and then they can listen to it on there. And then in Spain, there's a platform for listening to podcasts that's called I V O O X. Okay. I, yeah, I know that. I know that one. Yep. Okay. 
but yeah, I will, uh, I'll put it on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, I'll okay. hit you up. You have 23. I just found you. Okay. So there's another oh. app that I use called podcast addict. And I think it just uses the same search engine as iTunes. Oh, and yeah, I got you on here. I see Alfredo's. Oh, you, you, uh, did Z as well, huh? Yeah, buddy. <laughs> How's she, she was, doing? She's doing well. She was awesome because, you know, her British accent is so fun. Um, and her story, her story is pretty crazy too. Um, not maybe as crazy as yours, but just different in its own way. I mean, she came over to the U.S. for high school, um, you know, and was figuring things out on her own from a very young age. So, but uh, yeah, she's doing well. I went to her wedding um, this past summer in London, which was awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, really fun, really fun. And uh, yeah, she's doing her thing. She actually was commentating for the Olympic qualifiers. I saw that. I saw that. I, I you know, it's funny you mentioned her accent. Like, I think she's one of the funniest, like, just organically funny people I've ever met in my life. Like, she's great. So yeah, her her being on a microphone commenting a basketball game, like, I'm like, yeah, that's right. That's what you need to be doing, Z. <laughs> yeah, and I still haven't been able to listen to any of her games, um, but I should. I mean, I think it was like you had to pay some money or something like that. They weren't on, like, you know. But, um, but yeah, she, and she does a great job because she knows the game. She's positive. Um, she does her homework, researches the players. So, yeah. yeah. Well, that's what, that's what I wanted to say. Like, I was really impressed by your interview style and like how you went about this. I wasn't sure how it was going to be, but like, you just, it was smooth. It sounded like you just, you were letting me speak and like, you were like, no, like tell more, tell more. <laughs> and, and so that was, you did a really good job. Oh, well, I appreciate that. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a podcast. Yeah, it's yeah. fun. It's for me, it's just a really good excuse to like reconnect with people. And because I love asking questions, like it's just a great excuse for me to be able to ask questions and not be like a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because like some people think it's annoying or it's weird when somebody asks a lot of questions, but it's like I'm just genuinely interested, not because I want to like share, talk about you behind your back. I'm just, I like hearing people's stories. Yeah, no, I, people are so like there's so many layers to everybody that it's always there's always something new you can discover yeah but, i um, learned a lot about you today that i never knew before <laughs> yeah that they call me mike the strike mike the strike <laughs> third third grade mike eight-year-old mike just ripping on his mom <laughs> right <laughs> just letting loose just Man. not caring no but I, this is really cool and it's awesome to see that you're doing this and I'm, I'm glad I could be a part of it. So thank you. Oh. Well, I appreciate you for saying yes. And I had no idea you were going to be such a great interview. So, hey, <laughs> we'll, we'll see you. how many people download it. <laughs> I'll keep you posted. But uh, I got to I got to run because we have shooting in an hour and you said it takes you 30 minutes to get to your gym. Yeah. I, I usually give myself about 45 because I take the metro there, um, and from door to door, it's like 35-ish or 40, and then to like get your shoes on and get ready, you know. So I usually give myself about 45. So I go there and back in the morning, and then I do it again in the evening. It's a day. So it's a it's day. 
it's a day, but you know what? I'm reading more than ever this year because every time I get in the Metro, I just open my book and I don't know how many books I've read so far this year. I'm loving it. Good. Good for yeah. you, Leslie. Well, hey, we'll be in touch. Let me know when this thing comes out and uh, yeah, good luck with the rest of your season and everything. Well, thank you very much, Mike. Appreciate it. Take care, Mike. Thank you. Yeah. Yep. Bye. Ciao. Bye.